Our faith can only grow through the Word of God and of course believing what the Scriptures have to say about God and about what He is capable of. The principle that gives us the ability of putting our faith in God is that God is always constant. He doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. We will be talking today about an example church. Salvation is through faith and grace, but our faith must be genuine and true, placed on the Lord with the right intentions. And the grace that God bestows on us through the Lord Jesus Christ has a definite purpose. When we come to Christ, we need to exemplify through the power of the Holy Spirit what He wants to see in each of our lives, because the church that God is looking for is not a building, but rather a group of believers located throughout the world look to glorify God and live to fulfill the Father's will, no matter what the circumstances may be. Today's message is inspired on 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, blessing and honor and glory be to you, O Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord God, Heavenly Father, may you be praised forever and ever, O Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you may always remember us in your mercy and in your grace. Remember that we are nothing without you, Lord God, and that we need you, O Lord. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you help us, O Lord, to understand our purpose. Help us, O Lord, to be able to do those things that truly please you and bring you honor and glory. Heavenly Father, help us to always bear in mind that there is something greater to all of this that we see here today. Heavenly Father, help us, O Lord, to have a true and genuine faith. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It appears from this passage that the church of Thessalonica was quite the church and that they had a very good testimony and were worthy to receive God's reward. So a good exercise would be to see what made them this example church, such that the apostles even boasted about them among other churches. This may sound obvious, but the first thing to keep in mind when talking about a church is that we're not talking about a building, but rather about a group of believers. That's the real church. So ultimately, we will be looking at the conduct of this group of believers that compose this local church in Thessalonica in ancient Greece. One of the first things that the apostle mentions about them is their faith and that it is growing exceedingly. So what is faith really about in terms of our Christian faith? According to the word of God, faith is not about positive thinking or having some sort of ability to wish what we want into existence. That is what most people mistake faith for within our Christian community. Faith is about having a strong conviction on the person of God and on who he is and what he is capable of, but not to be used to push our own personal and selfish agenda. In Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us this insight. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Faith is believing in the invisible God and on his capabilities. This is the first example we are given about faith. So then how does this faith or knowledge of God grow? In the book of Romans, we are given this explanation. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith can only grow through the word of God and of course believing what the scriptures have to say about God and about what he is capable of. The principle that gives us the ability of putting our faith in God is that God is always constant. He doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if the foundation of our Christian faith is Jesus Christ, then our foundation is immovable, unshakable, and eternal. You see, the problem that many people have, even within our Christian community, is that faith is put on other things or people. Many people trust more on themselves or other people or other things and beliefs. And that is faith also, but it is misplaced faith. The things that people choose to put their faith on will determine how far that faith will take them. Some people trust wealth. They put their faith on money or financial capability. And yes, money impacts this natural and temporary world, but money can't do anything for anyone in the afterlife. Money is useless and worthless in the coming judgment. The same issue arises when people put their faith on other people or themselves. They will get things that are related to the abilities those people have inherently. For instance, a person can put their trust in a president, but remember that person is just as limited as you are. They may have authority over certain things in this world, but this world again is temporary. This is what we need to keep in mind. Anything that you put your faith on that is reliant on this current temporary world is temporary and will not exercise any kind of bearing on the future, especially in the eternal spiritual universe. Some might say, well, I believe in God or other religions, and you can have that faith, but faith on a generic God 
doesn't gain you anything. And of course, other religions may offer you certain things, but they cannot afford you eternal life. You see, there is a logic for why we need Jesus Christ to be at the center of our faith, for him to be the foundation of our faith. We all have a sin problem, and the wages of sin is death. That's why every single person will die someday. No matter what you do, you cannot escape death. Everything living decays and will die at some point. Those are the effects of sin, and sin affects our spiritual future as well. If we die in our sins, we will die forever, condemned by our own wrongful actions. But Jesus Christ lived and breathed in our same flesh, and he allowed himself to be killed for our sins so his blood could wash the sins of the world. But here is the key that we need and why he needs to be at the center of our life, of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ was in fact killed, but he was raised from the dead at the third day and is now sitting at the right hand of Almighty God, reigning as who he is, as God, as part of the Holy Trinity that has always existed. Since we will die physically someday, we need to be resurrected. So even though we will die physically at some point in time, we will live forever through him that lives forever because he is the only one that has that ability, that power. With all due respect to others, Muhammad is in the grave. Buddha is in a grave. Other religious figures and leaders are in a grave somewhere. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that is not in the grave. He is very much alive as the only entity that can triumph over sin and hell. This is a practical reason for why our faith, our trust, must be entirely on the Lord Jesus Christ if you want to have eternal life. Just as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he also said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And so this church's faith, ultimately, the faith of its members, was well-founded on this faith that Paul preached about, which is according to the scriptures. Now, what is the other thing we see in these faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Love. Love between themselves. This is very important to our faith in Christ. Love is the cornerstone to our faith, loving God above all things and loving our neighbor as ourselves. For it is written, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The Apostle John also taught this in 1 John chapter 4 where it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So you see, our faith is all about love. It's the first fruit of the Spirit. Love should be everything to us. 
If a person has no love for God and their neighbor, they have nothing. There is no evidence of God in their lives. There is no salvation without this love to God and to our neighbor. For it is also written in 1 Corinthians, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, what is the other thing we can see here in our key passage? That these Thessalonians walked in Christ, growing in faith and love in very tough circumstances. One of the greatest mistakes in the doctrine of many believers is that if you are in Christ, that you cannot have any issues and that your victory consists of having great and triumphant lives here and now. But that is not what the Lord taught us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is precisely for those that have challenges here and now, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually thrive through difficulty and hardship. What we need to focus on is on what God is focusing on, and He is certainly not focused on our physical well-being here and now. That is not His priority. Now, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to live wretched lives here and now, but this notion of the health and wealth gospel, as it may be known, is not correct. This notion that everything is supposed to go right for us here and now is not correct. Does everything need to be a disaster? Of course not. But what God is mostly after is the process to prepare us for the afterlife, for the coming age. And in order to be ready, He will allow for us to go through challenges, to this process of sanctification that the Bible speaks of, so we can shed the sin that still remains within us, so we can subdue the desires of our flesh and walk in the Spirit. If we look at Job's life, for instance, for a moment, we will see that God allowed for many things to happen to him so that in the end, he could understand things better, so he could get his relationship more correct with God. This is what Job himself said after a period of extreme hardship and difficulty. In Job chapter 42, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, 
and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The Bible also teaches that we must endure discipline when we sin because God desires for us to abandon the things of the flesh, the desires of the lust that still dwell within us. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, if we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And the word of God also talks about that it is even necessary for us to go through trials and tribulations. In Acts chapter 14, we read the following. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so when we come to Christ, when we enter a true relationship with him, God's purpose is to change and transform our lives, to mold us and make us into different people, into people that are worthy of his kingdom. We are to become through Jesus Christ like gold and silver and precious stones and those things are only purified through fire. We do not become better and stronger Christians through comfort, prosperity, and privileged lives. We actually become stronger and more like Christ when we face hardship, when we stand up for the Lord in the midst of trials and tribulation, when we remain and abide firmly in our faith, making hard decisions, by putting the Lord first in our lives, by giving him priority over our desires and wants and living for him. Now you might ask, how can I actually thrive through difficulty and hardship? The only way is by putting your eyes on Christ alone and putting aside everything else, especially the sin that still remains in your life. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." So if you set your eyes on Christ and not on things here and now, if you don't put your hope on earthly things, then you will be more than fine. Don't make the mistake that many people do, that they put their eyes on Christ to gain earthly things, to triumph only in the here and now. If a person does that, 
they will surely fail because even though they're looking to Christ, they're only looking to gain earthly things. And like that, still living for the temporary world and still pleasing the flesh. God is no fool. What you hope to gain is exactly what you are going to get. No more, nor less. For it is written, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You can only sow to the Spirit when you are focused on Christ with the right intentions. If you try to use Christ for personal gain, focus on getting earthly or carnal things, then that's all you're going to get. That will be your reward, and you will miss out on eternal life, eternal reward, and the very purpose for which you were created, made, and saved through Jesus Christ for. In a Lord-servant relationship like the one that is required for salvation, Jesus Christ needs to be Lord and not us. This is where most people get it wrong. They think that God is there to serve them, to tend to their desires, and to do their bidding. They think that prayer is just a medium to ask God to do as they wish. In James chapter 4, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we are focused on us, on our carnal desires, on the things of this world, we become friends of the world. And so, will a friend of the world enter God's kingdom? No. God cannot allow for his enemies to inherit his kingdom. People need to get it right if they want to be right with the Lord. For he himself says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So the way we can get it right is by learning to love the Lord with everything we are, by giving him first place, treating him as the Lord he should be in our lives, looking to do his will rather than our own will. And when he becomes that center, then everything else will start to fall into place, like loving our neighbor and our faith growing, even through hardship, difficulty, and tribulation. This is what needs to happen in your life if you want to attain the things that only the Lord God Almighty can give. Following the Lord Jesus Christ may sound like walking a very hard path because it will involve difficulty, hardship, self-denial, and even persecution. And from a certain perspective, it is difficult. It's not easy. But the main difference between our faith in Christ and everything else is that we have the eternal reward of Almighty God to look forward to. This world and everything in it will end someday. That is a guarantee. If we just pay attention, everything that we see points to an inevitable end. 
And so our hope is not for the here and now. Our actions should affect positively the here and now so that others can also come to have this faith in Christ. But our faith in the Lord is not really focused on the present. This is what the Word of God says. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. We have an eternal hope in Christ that starts with us being resurrected from the dead in the future. When we die physically, that marks the beginning of our eternal life with a new glorified body after going through the final judgment. When we are found worthy through true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by living to do the Father's will, we will be granted eternity with eternal reward. The Bible has this to say, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We are given this glimpse of what is to come in the book of Revelation, where it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In Christ, we have much to fight for, for things that far outweigh anything this temporary and passing world can offer us. To the Lord Jesus Christ, we have more than enough incentive to become part and live as the universal church of Christ that exists to glorify God for all eternity. If you have not yet made that decision for eternal life and immortality through the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you to make that decision today so you can live a life with eternal purpose, knowing that someday, maybe five minutes from now or 50 years from now, you will need to stand before God's mighty throne and give an account for what you have done. And when that time comes, trust me, 
You want to be found worthy by God through Jesus Christ to have the eternity that only He can grant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, hallowed and glorified be your name. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for the salvation that we can have through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for his sacrifice on the cross. Heavenly Father, help us to be mindful of the things that need to happen in our lives, that we need to have love, that we need to have faith, true faith, that we need to seek to do your will. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that we need these things so that we can, in fact, through Jesus Christ, attain the eternal life that you have for those that love you. Help us, O Lord, to understand that we need to be faithful to you with everything we are. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.